My name is Kevin, and my wife's Esther. Um, we're expecting our first child in May. So, God has been good. I want to say a big thank you for having me, and of course, a big thank you to Pastor Mike and Sister Joy for believing in us. Uh, I come from KL in Malaysia, which is about 10 hours flight away from here. And um, Pastor Mike was my Bible school teacher, and... Um, in 1997, in City Harvest, Singapore, and of course, today, he's my spiritual father. So, I want to share with you a great word of God this morning. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Psalms 90. Psalms 90 and verse 12. If you can't understand me, just raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> Are you there? Psalms 90 and verse 12. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you once again for this wonderful day. Thank you, God, that you are the one who blesses us with the days of our lives. Today, as we come prepared, as we come ready to hear your word, Father, we ask for your word to just change and transform our lives because we, mo- we want more than just inspiration. We want to walk closer with you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. I want to share with you this morning the eight foundations of life. On average, any one of us would spend, all right, in a lifetime, 29.1% of our life sleeping. One third of our time will be spent on sleeping. All right, 33.2% of our lives would be spent on either working, if you are a working person, or studying, if you are a student. All right, 8.2% of our lives would be spent on traveling. of our lives will be spent on eating. If you're Asian, that's probably 20%, all right? And 10.2% of our lives would be, 10%, all right? 10.2% of our lives would be spent on doing things unaccounted for. What are they? Every day when we wait for our bus to come, we wait for our friends, we daydream, we look in the mirror for half an hour. So we spend 10.2% of our lives doing that. So, this leaves us with only about 7 to 8% of our lives with us for us to do something meaningful, to make a difference in this world that God has given to us. Psalmists say in Psalm 90, So teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We must ask God and we must pray and say, God, teach us how to number our days. How many days do I still have left? on planet earth to make a difference in this world that God has given to us. This morning, I want to share with you the eight foundations of life. I'll do four in the morning and another four in the evening so that you guys come back and make me happy in the evening service tonight. Is that okay? And these eight foundations are very important because a lot of people, they will spend probably the two areas of their lives, probably they just spend half of their life working and then they realize that the other half of their life, they are either sick or, or very bad, having a very bad health. They spend the next half of their life trying to fix the problem. Are you with me? So today, I want to start off by sharing with you how to live a balanced life so that we may live for God fully and 100%. Number one, the first foundation of our life is spiritual. Spiritual. All right? All of us are spiritual beings. We live in a body and we have a soul. We are all spiritual beings. Proverbs 
chapter 3 and verse 5 to 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6. The Bible says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct, or another version say, make smooth your paths. This is how a spiritual person should behave. We are to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. The word all in Greek means all. That means with our entirety. That means some people could trust God with only half of their hearts. But the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That means we commit every decision, everything that we're going to do in our lifetime to God. And say, before I choose a partner, I got to pray, Father God, is this the person that you want for me? If I'm going to get a job, I want to pray and seek the face of God and say, God, is this the career, the career path that you want me to take? A person who trusts in God will put, will put God in the first place of their lives in everything He does. He does not only trust in the counsel of men alone. So a lot of people, we only want to hear comments or advice from other people or some people they've got nobody to turn to they got to ask advice from the newspaper in malaysia we have a lady called telma telma knows everything dear telma i'm feeling not happy today what should i do and then telma will reply and the answer will be in the newspaper all right so we have got better news for you today that we can find our answer in god amen that he is the solution and the provider of our lives. Over the years, I've learned this. When a decision had to be made quickly, it is usually wrong. When a decision had to be made quickly, it is usually wrong. Whatever is driven from behind cannot be of the Lord. For the Lord leads. He waits for us to follow. God is a gentleman and He will not drive us from behind. Who else is a spiritual person? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, Am I doing okay? Good. Thank you very much. Thank you for being so kind. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33. The Bible says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Bible says, Seek first the kingdom of God. That means place the work of the kingdom of God ahead of us more than anything else. And then the Bible says, and all these things shall be added to, to us. What are these things? These things like things that we wear, things that we eat, things that we drink. God says, not, do not worry about them, for I will take care of you. There's a story in the Bible about a man, a family, who chose not to follow God. In Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1 to 5. In the book of Ruth, okay? Chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. Here is a story of a non-spiritual person. There was a famine in the land of Bethlehem, Judah. So Elimelech left Judah for Moab in search for food. So there was lack in Bethlehem, Judah. So this is a very important lesson for us to learn here. Elimelech's name means, my God is king. His name means, my God is king. However, he did not live up to his name. He made his needs his king. So he left Bethlehem, Judah, 
the house of bread and praise, and move his family to Moab, the earthly land of light. He moved from the land of praise, the land of bread, to the land of light. That was a big mistake. Spiritual lesson 101. Never leave the house of God when things get tough. And all of God's people say, Stay and remain in the presence of God. I have seen in my church countless people, whenever they encounter difficulty, it must be God's fault. Whenever something's not right, it is God's fault. I'm amazed by how some of my church, well, I recently just go through some change in my office. One of my staff just left us and the husband uh, found a better job somewhere else. So we asked them why. He said, it is an opportunity that I cannot let go. Friends, sometimes when these people, they are transferred to another place to get a better job, they don't seem to have to pray or seek the face of God. When the pastor say, I want to send you to India for a week's mission trip, they'll say, Pastor, can I go home and pray first and seek the face of God? <laughs> are you with me? See, but when they move their family from a place where they can grow spiritually to a place that they are totally uncertain of, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying there's no hope in the place that they're going. But what I'm saying is, when I say stay and serve God, they find it very difficult. But they have no problem when there's better money out there. Ali Malek had two sons, one of them Mahalon and the other one Chilion. Mahalon means sick and disease. Chilion means weak and failing. Now, these are not good names to give to our children. Why? You don't want to call your son sick. Sickly, come here. Or disease, please come over here. Let's go to church. No. As a result from moving from the land of praise, the land of bread, all right? What happened to them? In verse 5, the Bible says, both of them died. Even Ali Malik himself died in verse 3. Friends, remember, we are spiritual beings. We live in a body. We have a soul. God should always have the number one priority in our lives. And everybody say? Everybody say? So how to become a spiritual person? Very simple, four ways. Number one, read the Bible. I was telling the young people on Friday night, there are enough chapters in the Bible for God to speak to you. Say, oh pastor, I've read Genesis chapter 1, but I didn't hear God speaking to me. I didn't feel anything at all. Well, read chapter 2. Nothing happened either. Well, read chapter 3. Nothing happens. Chapter 4, read. There are 50 chapters in Genesis. If it's not enough, go Exodus. Still not enough? You have Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. I am sure by the time you hit into the middle of the Bible, you will hear God speaking to you. Amen? A lot of people read one verse and say, I feel so dry. Nothing happened to me. Of course. Read more. Spend time immersing ourselves in the Word of God. Read the Bible. Secondly, pray. Pray at all times. If you're in the car, pray. If you are taking a shower, pray. When you're alone, pray. Set aside time every day to be alone with God and pray and talk to the heart of I mean to hear the heart of God. Don't just pray because it is our duty to pray. Don't just pray because I need to clock some time. You know, because pastors say we must pray half an hour a day. So you pray. Pray. You look at the watch. Pray. Half an hour. Stop. I've done my duty. Can you imagine if you're trying to build a relationship with your spouse? You tell your wife, darling, I want to spend some time with you, but I've got half an hour. 
That's my, my job, my duty. I tell you, five minutes, she'll be disappeared. All right? <laughs> Thirdly, go to church. When it's time to go to church, go to church. When it's time to go to youth group, go to youth group. Don't be somewhere else. Amen? Number four, hang out with godly people. When we do all these four, as the basic, the foundation of our lives, we will all do well in the kingdom of God. That's simple. Is that all? Yes. That's all. Because when we follow God, God will take care of us. And everybody say, the second foundation of our lives is work. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 10. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 10. Are you there? Verse 10, the Bible says, And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. God says, I mean, Paul tells the church here, he said, you are to mind your own business, work with your own hands, and pay your own bills. Pay your bills on time. Because this is a testimony that we carry in a community out there. People do not read the Bible every day when we go to work. But people read our lives. Our lives become our first sermon. You like it or not, people will measure us against the standard of the world. You claim to be a Christian, but you don't have faith at all in your life. Are you with me? Work is what God designed for us to do. It is not a punishment. Work is not a punishment. God did not ask Adam to work the garden because he sinned. You sin against me? Work the garden. No, he started working the garden long before the fall. The Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. Are you with me this morning? His reward was in his work. It was not the pay that Adam was interested in. God, I'm going to look after the garden. I'm going to name five animals today. How much are you going to pay me? No, he never said that. To him, work is the therapy. James Eliot says, work is life. Good work is good life. Work is important to God because when we work, we represent the glory and the image of God that is living within us. When I do a good job, God's name shall be praised. And everybody say, a shoddy work reflects a half-hearted attitude. An excellent job reflects an excellent God. To avoid work is to invite poverty into our lives. Let us learn to enjoy our work. When I was growing up in church, I, somebody once came to me and said, he said, Kevin, find a job that you like and you won't have to work a day in your life. Don't drag your feet to go to work every day. It ought to be a joy because when we do that, it is not just we are unhappy, we make other people not happy as well. You know, we are like, the whole world owes us money. I don't like to go to work. <laughs> You get upset all the time. No, that's not how God wants us to be. Many people, especially in Asia these days, Christians, they dream of prosperity. They dream of success. Success. They hope that prosperity will come and hit them like a storm. That means they want shortcut. They pray, oh, Father God, I pray I'll get promoted tomorrow. But they do nothing, just sitting down there in the office and daydreaming. Prosperity and success is not something to believe in 
It is something to work on and earn. We have to earn the right to be heard, the right to be appreciated, the right for the gospel to be preached in our world. And everybody say, and God likes busy people. God loves busy people. Why? Because they're on the move all the time. They're doing something. A car that is not moving, a car that is stationary, no matter how hard you turn the steering wheel, it will still be there. But when you start to move a little bit, and then you start to turn, and then you realize the car is going to the direction that you're turning to. So move a little bit. Move a little bit. Do a little bit every day. God likes busy people because a life in momentum needs very little help to move forward. Aristotle said this, pleasure in the job puts perfection into the work. Benjamin Franklin said, well done is better than well said. John Wesley, the founder of the Wesleyan Methodist Church, he's a remarkable and highly inspirational gentleman. He travels 250 miles every day on a horseback for 40 years. He preached 40,000 sermons in his lifetime and wrote 400 books. He knew 10 languages. At 83, he was annoyed that he couldn't write more than 15 hours a day. At 86, he was ashamed that he could not preach more than twice a day, and he complained that he had the tendency to be in bed till 5.30 in the morning. His published work includes a four-volume commentary on the whole Bible, a dictionary of the English language, a five-volume work on natural philosophy, a four-volume work on church history, history of England and Rome, grammars on Hebrew, grammars on Hebrew, Latin, Greek, French, and the English languages, seven works on medicine, six volumes of church music, seven volumes of sermons and controversial papers, edited a library of 50 volumes called the Christian Library. Apart from all this, he was devoted to pastoral work, rose at 4 o'clock every morning, and retires to bed at 10 o'clock every night. During his preaching tours, he would give away flower seeds to homes all around England and told them he would come back the following year to judge the house with the nicest garden. He alone, one man, changed the entire United Kingdom. Why? Just because one man was willing to work. Come on, let's give a big hand to Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So work is good. Turn your neighbor and say, work is good. Alright, work is a joy. Proverbs 24 and verse 27. Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24 and verse 27. Prepare your work outside, make it fit for yourself in the field, and afterward, build your house. Work first, and then build your house. In our church, we have one slogan. It says, one life, one wife. No work, no wife. One more time, just in case you miss it. One life, one wife. No work, no wife. So if you're not willing to work, don't even think about starting a family. We are spiritual people, number one. So that's the first foundation to build on. Secondly, we have to build on work. We have to enjoy going to work. Enjoy waking up every day in the morning and go and do the things that God has wanted us to do. Teach us, Lord, to number our days, Psalmist say, so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What is the third foundation in life? The third one is relationship. Relationship. This is probably one area that we all like to talk about, enjoy the most, and suffer the most at the same time. Relationship brings the greatest joy and sometimes the greatest pain in life as well. 
But you see, relationship is an imperative everyday activity. The moment you wake up, you're in touch with people. You can't escape from people. We can't live our Christian life just by ourselves. We need to live our lives with other people. So having the right people, I said just now, when we hang out with godly people, we will naturally be a godly person. Why? Because we are known by the friends that we keep. Friends are important. So having the right people is a right start to a good life. There are three types of relationships in our lives. Number one, those who are above us. Our spiritual fathers and our spiritual mentor. I said earlier, Pastor Mike and Pastor Joy, they are my spiritual parents. They taught me how to minister and move in the gift of the Spirit. Today, when you go to our church, everyone, when we pray for people, we pray exactly like how Pastor Mike would pray for people. Why? Because he's my spiritual dad. I learned everything from him. Now, those people above us are very important. And then we also have people around us, our peers, people that we hang out with, people whom we call our friends. Thirdly, we have people below us, or rather people that work under us. They are like our employees. They are like young people we're trying to groom. These three types of relationship are in our lives all the time. However, most people would not have relationship, number one, those above us. We don't have people that can come and speak into our lives. This is very crucial. We need people to have the authority to correct us when we make mistakes. In Asia, this is a very easy to do thing. You know, the pastor will correct people and then the church leaders will correct the church members. But it's important to live like that so that you, you know that you'll be on the right track at all times. Are you with me? Relationship like this will determine the success of our lives. Allow people, invite people into our lives that will speak to us. They will provide spiritual covering over us. Warren Buffett credits his success to two men, Benjamin Graham and also Munger. Graham taught Buffett to purchase stocks that is an intrinsic, for example, stocks that have good values. And Munger taught Buffett to invest not only on values of the stock, but also on people. So today, he is like, what, the second richest man on planet Earth. Why? Because he has kept good companies, people that have taught him to do well in the business world. People, who do you have in your life today? In the Bible, Moses had Jethro over him. Joshua had Moses. Elisha had Elijah. David had Nathan. Peter had Jesus. Who do we have? Apart from just our family members and our church friend. Someone that will come into our lives and speak a word in season that will change and transform us. How many friends do we have in our lives? How many good friends do we have? A psychologist say most people have only between five to six friends that could really call their own. If you want to know how many friends you truly have, go and check your mobile phones, the last six number you call. Those are really people that you care and people who care for you. So I asked my church one day, I said, how do you know you have a friend? And then they said, oh, I have a friend because I have someone that can go supper with me or someone that will go hang out with me. But truly, a close friend, a good friend, is someone when you're stuck in a motorway 
five hours from here in the middle of the night and you can't start your engine, your call, you give a ring and that friend will wake up in the middle of the night just to come and help you. That one is a friend. Friends are people who will stay with us, be it good times or bad times. Church, let us learn to get along with people. Agree with them. Learn to appreciate people. Learn to listen to them. Amen? If we are miserable, we make people around us miserable. But if we are happy, we make everybody happy. Agree. Find, find things that you can agree with others with. Don't find fault. And don't find disagreement. Is our opinion more important than the friendship? Sometimes it is good to compromise, to give in, just so that we can win a friend. Say things like, oh, I see your point now. I think that's good too. Say things like, I think you're right and I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I admit I was too hasty just now. I didn't mean what I've just said. Say things like that in order to restore and build relationship. There are 10 commandments of human relationship. What are they? Number one, communicate. Learn to talk. People say every man speaks 20,000 words a day and every woman speaks 40,000 words a day. <laughs> At the end of every day, when the man gets home, he will not feel like talking anymore because he already used up his quota when he was in the office the whole day. But the wife has just begun. Darling, you are back! So learn to talk and learn to listen. So I'm, I've, I've got married for about a year and a half now. Sometimes my wife wants to talk. And I'll go like, mm, okay, yes, good, well done. Beautiful, amazing. That's awesome, darling. Wonderful. But it's not good enough. I have learned, I've got to learn to engage her in conversation. Why? Because communication is the basis of life. We stop talking, we stop communicating with other people, we die on the inside. Be intentional when you talk. Look at people eyeball to eyeball and share with openness. Number two, be interested in people and their world. Ask them, what do you like? And when they're telling you what they like, look at them and be interested. Don't, oh, I see, okay, all right, that's good. Okay, are you done? All right, let's move on. All right, don't like, be like that. Number three, make people feel important. Make people feel important. Number four, smile when you meet people. Why don't we turn to our neighbor now and give them a really nice, beautiful smile. Amen. People say, dog is a man's best friend. Why? Because they get so excited seeing us every day. When you get home, the dog will be like, your pay. Dogs, men's best friend. So, if only we will smile more, people say the church attendance will increase by 20%. Alright? So that's good. So, keep smiling. Amen. Number five, encourage people. What does it mean to encourage people? To encourage people is to put courage into people's life when they're discouraged. When courage is being discounted from their lives. Encourage them. It gives them the strength and the energy to take one more step. Number six, be long-suffering and understanding. 
be long-suffering and understanding. Alright, be patient. One of the things I must learn is to be patient. So I told my church this year, I said, my goal, my resolution for 2007 is to be patient. And everybody laughed at me. Alright, so I'm trying. I'm still work in progress. Alright, number seven, respect people. Speak well of your parents. Speak well of your employers. I was in the car this morning with Pastor Mike, and he said, um, Hastings is a small town. When you complain about somebody, 